to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we're going to finish out chapter 4 today, hopefully. And we're going to take a little break then from Matthew and talk of the church. We're going to talk on church, church matters. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, and I'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll pray, and we'll, we'll jump in together. This is what God's Word says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left, their boat, left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Lord, I am confident this morning, Lord Jesus, that even today, you look at sinners, and you look at ordinary, normal men and women, and you say to us, through all the fog of our lives, through all the fog and distraction that may be in the way, you say to us still, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I pray, Lord, even this morning that you would impart in us, Lord, impart in us a spirit that is soft to you, that is tender to the things that we're even going to hear this morning. And God, give us the grace that we need. Holy Spirit, would you work in us hearts of obedience, hearts of love and affection for you, we can't do that in ourselves, so we ask that you would do that in us, we, we pray. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. I once was, I was working one time uh, on the campus uh, up at, I think it was actually at Garrett, and I was talking to a kid, uh, I'll call him Bob. Uh, so Bob, I was talking to Bob, and I we were we were sharing we were sharing the gospel with him and we were hearing some about his story where where he grew up and stuff and he he shared with me that he was a pastor's kid and I said cool that's that's neat that's cool to hear that you're a pastor's kid and I asked I I, I said like oh that's great so sound, so you're a follower of Jesus then and he said well no like I'm I'm not a follower of Jesus <laughs> wait okay hold on hold on so you you said you're a pastor's kid he even he even could articulate that Jesus died for his sins. But I ask, like, so you're, you're not a follower of Jesus? He's like, well, no, not, not right now I'm not. Like, well, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. Like, yeah, I know that. Of course he died for my sins. But I'm not following him. Now, now I want you to hear, maybe, maybe you hear the same paradox I heard in that moment. I was like, that sounds like a contradiction. <laughs> so you're telling me Jesus died for your sins, and then you're also telling me, but I don't really care about it. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And he even said before we left, he's like, yeah, you're right, that doesn't make any sense. And I, I wonder, should that be normal for the Christian life? 
Should that, should that be the normal path of the Christian? And I think if you honestly walked even up this street and asked people who Jesus was, they'd tell you, oh yeah, he died for my sins. And then you'd ask them, are you a follower? No, no, I don't follow him. I don't follow after him. Do, do we simply as Christians get, a, get, a, get out of hell free card? Is that really the point of what being a Christian is? And you may be quick to dismiss this kid because, well, you say, he's a pastor's son. He's a pastor's son. Of course he's a, he's a hypocrite. And I wouldn't be like, no, just before we do that, we probably know, you probably know or recognize someone very similar to Bob. They go to church every Sunday. They've been to summer camp all their life. They say their prayers before bed, which, by the way, I've never met a college student on the campus who doesn't say their prayers before bed, whichever that, whatever that means. But to merely believe intellectually without genuinely following Christ, is that really what Christ demands? This was profound for me the day I realized. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talks of this, he speaks of this, and he calls it cheap grace. I want to say it one more time, cheap grace. It's forgiveness without repentance. And he says this, I think it's really helpful in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, grace at a low cost is simply a new law which brings neither help nor freedom. And, and to Bob, if I could talk to Bob today, I'd want him to hear this because, he said, because what this quote means is that grace at a low cost is simply just a new law. It's simply just a new attempt to, to, to justify oneself before God. And so we, we see, we see even, even Jesus, we, we, we close this, this section of Matthew with Jesus calling his first disciples. Remember where we've been. He's, he's came out of the wilderness. Actually, go back even a little bit further. He was baptized. The Father said of him, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit rested upon him and then drove him into the wilderness to be tested. And now we see him come out and do ministry. Now we're seeing Jesus come out. Notice what he says in verse 18. Jump down in verse 18. He says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now I want you to notice something. It says that they were fishermen. Now typically when I, when I think of fishermen, maybe you're like me, maybe, maybe you're not, I'm thinking, oh, they weren't very well-to-do, right? They're just fishermen but actually, they would have been very, very well off. Likely would have owned their own boat. So they had their own industry. They had their own company. They, had the, they were pretty well-to-do. Actually, probably middle class or upper middle class people. But they were ordinary. That's what's so particular about this. If I were to ask you, hey, start a movement that will change the world, who would you want in your corner? I'd want the CEOs. <laughs> I'd want the, the big shots with a lot of money. Who does Jesus want in his corner? Hey, you cast nets, right? Yeah, come follow me. You, ordinary man, over there. I want you. Do you, I want us to see just the particularity of this. He, Jesus is so unlike us. We would want, I would want the smartest, the strongest, the most powerful. Who does he want? You're an ordinary man. You follow me. Fisherman, no less. And he says again, verse 18, he says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, I want you to, I want to give us a term, and I want to make sure we define it well. It's the term disciple. 
Now there's actually, thank, praise God, there's actually a, lot, a big movement right now within evangelical circles of talking about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple. But I want to give you my definition of what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who worships Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and obeys Jesus' commands. And I want us to focus in on one, really actually one verse today. And I want you to notice what Jesus calls these men to. Jump down to verse 19. This is what he says. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And that phrase, follow me, it's actually really like he's saying, come after me. That's really what it is. To say, follow me, is not just to say, follow me. He's saying, come, you come after me. Follow after me. And this is exactly what Jesus, what Jesus means by follow me. And like we, now we saw this two weeks ago, but I'll say it again. It's, it's really, discipleship is really the process of becoming like Jesus. So it's that process of being a disciple, but discipleship is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's really similar to, 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 to the trades within the trade industries in our own society, what would be called apprenticeship. We, when you become an apprentice, you, you enter a field and you know nothing about the field. You, you, you have no knowledge, you have no skill, but you walk behind a teacher to learn from them. And this is very similar to what Jesus is calling us to. Not only what they, he was calling them to, but it's the same thing that he's calling us to. They were to watch the way he lived. They were to come along with him as he did miracles. But you know, when they first followed him, they probably actually didn't really know what, what they were getting themselves into. I would actually say 100%. They didn't know fully what they were getting themselves into. But what they knew is this guy's calling me. I need to come. And so it is with the Christian. When we hear Jesus call, we don't, we don't linger. We don't say, well, I've got other things to do. I need to, I need to take care of this and that and all these other things. We come. We come after him. And this leads them, ultimately, the, the disciples did the same thing. This leads them, ultimately, to the end of Matthew. And you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 28. This is where it leaves them. At the end, at the end of Jesus' ministry, they follow him all these years. He corrects them, continually shows them what it means to walk with me. And this is what he says to them at the very end. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, this is after the resurrection, they worshipped him. But some doubted. This, that, that last phrase, you probably look around and you're like, yeah, wow. He really understood secular society, right? Even they're literally looking at him resurrected, and they're like, wow, that's amazing. He's the son of God. Oh, but are you sure? <laughs> like, are we seeing something here? Like even, they didn't get out of the first century, and this is what they were thinking. And if this was true of the disciples then, how much more true for me and you, brothers and sisters, if you desire, if you're taking notes there, I want you to see, if you desire to be a follower of Jesus, you will worship him. You know, Jesus doesn't need fans. A fan is someone who says, Woo! Go Pirates! Pirates are terrible, but go Steelers! That's, that's a little easier. Go Steelers! Jesus doesn't need fans. He's demanding followers. If he is the Son of God, then worship him. Worship him for who he is. This is good news that God has placed our sins upon Jesus. Jesus, the perfect life given for us. 
So what do we mean by worship? And we've, we've talked about this before, but I'll give it to you again. Worship, I want to give you just a couple of them. Worship as an act of allegiance. Worship as an act of allegiance. Now, allegiance, I'll give you an example to describe what I mean by allegiance. Uh, there should be a, a chart back there for you, Tony, a pie chart, yes. This was, we talked about this the other week, but I'll give it to you again. And typically what we do, or what the problem, I think, for Bob at the beginning, and what I think the problem for most Christians in our 21st century world try to do, is they say, oh, yeah, 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 I, I love Jesus, yeah, Jesus, he's a fan. And so they think when I want to become a follower of Jesus more, I should just increase the God slice of my pie. I, 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 yeah, Jesus, he needs some more of my time. I'm, I'm putting too much time into my money. I need to give him a few more percentage pieces. And this is not what he's calling us to. That's actually, see, this is actually, if I told you, hey, give more of your social life to Jesus, that's actually a new law. Or, or if I said, hey, hey, d- just give more of your sexuality to God. Not, not all of it, but just some more of it. Or your school time or your work time, just give a little bit more to God. You know what that would do to you? That would be a heavy weight that would just crush you. But what Christ is calling us to, you can go to the next one, is more like this. I have my free time, but where does it find its origin? In Christ. I have my sexuality, but I don't get to choose what I want to do my own self. I have to, I have to or, it's originated in Christ. Or my money, I don't get to just decide what I do with my money. Now Christ is the one who's over it. Do you see how offensive this message is? Do you, I, hope, I hope this message of Christ just, just is either a stench to you or a sweet-smelling aroma, because that's what it is. So, so for some of you, you'll be like, man, this is, I don't want this, but this is the call of Christ. When we hear Christ say, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, hear him saying, I don't want just a little bit of you. I want all of you. All of life is meant to be this. David Platt, he says, first, we are not casual listeners. True disciples don't simply listen to the words of Jesus week by week and then move on with their lives. Second, we are, com- conv- not, we are convinced listeners. People who are content to merely, we are not people who are c- content to merely affirm belief in Jesus. Even demons believe Jesus is who he says he is. Followers of Jesus are not simply casual or even convinced listeners. We are committed learners and followers. Do you, do you hear the, just the radical difference of what, what Christ is calling us to? He's not looking for another fan. He's not looking for you to just buy all his apparel and tell everybody that you're a fan of him. He's looking for your life, and he wants all of it, all of it. Listen to Luke 14, and this is how, you don't have to turn there. Luke 14, 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Do you hear that? And in 21st century America, we try to like downplay that. And, and we see our brothers and sisters in Iraq and we think, man, think of the cost that they have to follow Jesus. And I want to be like, yeah, that's the same cost on me and you. It's just we don't deal with it day to day. We don't walk outside thinking, I'm going to get shot today. But that's what Christ is telling us to do. 
He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, now that's, he's not literally saying go hate your father and mother. He's saying in comparison to how much you love me, if you don't hate your father and mother, your own wife and children and brothers, yes, even your own life, you can't be his disciple. And then he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then we could keep reading and he just keeps going on, but we'll, we'll pause there. And he goes, let's, so that's the first point. I want you to see the second one. So worship, so worship is an act of allegiance. Worship is also our response to who God is. Actually, to who, to who Jesus is in that way. Sorry, that should be to who Jesus is. And I want you to think about Bob at the beginning. This guy who says that, yeah, Jesus has died for my sins, but... I'm not really following him. What's his worship look like? You know what it looks like? Let me give it to you very quickly. Well, Jesus, I'll give you some more of my money, but I'm not going to give you my sexuality. Or I'll, I'll give you my sexuality, but not my free time. I mean, it's my free time. Come on. Come on. Jesus is like, come on now. I love what Bonhoeffer then says. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. And then he says, as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And this is what he says, and I think it's very fitting. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. I want to say that one more time. When Christ calls a man, when he calls me and you, he doesn't say, hey, come have a happy life. He says, come and die. Come and die with me. You, you see my cross, you see my crucifixion, come and die with me, and you will live with me. If you desire to be a follower of Jesus, you will worship him, and that is what your worship will look like. But let, notice what else he says. Jump back to verse 19, if you're sitting there with your Bible open. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, he doesn't say, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, follow me, I'll make you healthy and wealthy and happy and wise. He doesn't say that. And many many Christians then think, well, Jesus has somehow abandoned me. My life got a lot harder. And I want to be like, that means I think you're a Christian. That's great. If your life got harder, that means you actually might be following him. To those who think my life's just easy, it's been cake, it's just continually walking in cake, just cake going forward, I'll tell you, I'm not sure if you're following him. I'm not sure that you're doing that in that way. Jesus says, I will make. Notice what he says. It's not something you will do either. Notice what else he says in verse 19. Follow me and I will make you. Do you see that? Discipleship's not something you do. Did you know that? Discipleship is not something that you do. Discipleship is something Jesus does to you. It's something he does to me. If you desire, this is the second thing, if you desire to be a follower of Jesus, you will be changed by him. Not only will you worship him, you will be changed by him. 
Now, notice what they, even in that immediate context, do in verse 20. It says, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, you need to remember, they, they, this is not the first encounter they had with Jesus, okay? So they knew who he was. They knew about him, at least. But when he said, come after me, I'll make you fishers of men. They put down their nets, and they said, I'm going to follow after him. Now, the change that happens here, now we've talked about this before, but I want to say it again. It's the changing from darkness to light, okay? So it's the changing, and this is what Jesus is doing to them, and we see all the rest of his ministry that he's going to start doing this with these disciples. It's the changing from darkness. Now, I want you to jump down to verse 23. I know I didn't read it, but I want us to cover it today. Now, notice what he starts doing. This is why I say, this is why I, say I want you to notice what he's doing as, as he calls them. They're following after him now in verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, you've got to remember something. The people in that day did not have good medical care, okay? We live in 21st century America where medical care is, we love medical care. That's great. That's a, that's a blessing that God's given us. But they didn't have that. A, a, a sore throat could, could literally lead to death in that time. The, the common cold could have done things far, far more reaching in that day. But notice what he's going and doing. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. God's rule and reign and authority has come near. And he's healing every disease. And then it says in verse 24, So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So, so what he's doing, when the kingdom of God comes, the rule and reign and authority of God comes, it breaks out the darkness. The darkness flees away. But it's not just changing in that way. It's also changing out of darkness, and it's into light. So they're changed out of darkness, but they're changed into light. Now notice what he goes on to say. He says, now jump back to verse um, 20, 20 again. He says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. I want you to think about for a second what they were what they were what they were moving away from. They were saying, here's this business, probably likely, they've had their whole life with their dad. Their dad actually, Zebedee, Zebedee standing there with him, would have now, now they had servants there with them, so, but they likely would have given the business back over to Zebedee and been like, sorry dad, we gotta follow him. They're counting the cost. They're not saying, it's, it's no big deal, I'll follow you when I get a chance. It's a changing of darkness into light. I love what Bonhoeffer then says in another place. He says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. 
It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs cost God the life of his son. So they're changed from darkness. They're changed into light. But that isn't all. They're also changed in one, one last way, or one last way. If you desire, this is the last point if you're looking at it, your outline, if you desire to be a follower of Jesus, you will obey his commandments. If you desire to be a follower of Jesus, you will obey his commands. Now notice again what he says in verse 19. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How's he going to do it? How is he going to take, and I want you to just think about even 50 years from the moment that he meets them there. Here they are, the moment he meets them, fishermen. Less than, less than five years later, they're changing the world. They flip Jerusalem upside down. How is it? How is it? How is it that the same men who could, he would call lords of thunder, sons of thunder, that would, that would want to smite people, listen to what Luke nine fifty four says, when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They changed from that, sons of thunder, to, and we see it in Acts 3, they say to a blind beggar, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. What's the change? <laughs> do you, we're talking about a less than three years gap. Men who are willing to say, Lord, would you like us to call fire from heaven upon them? To get up. Get up. We're not doing that anymore. Stop being paralyzed. Get up and follow after him. And I want you to see that our obedience, our obedience comes from the heart. This is how Jesus is going to change them to become fishers of men. Our obedience comes from the heart. And the only thing that happened between those two moments of them saying, Lord, would you like us to call fire from heaven and get up, rise, and walk is the Holy Spirit has come. And he's come and he's changed them from the inside out. The same guy who was ready to call down fire from heaven and consume people is now seeking to serve the poor. The Holy Spirit came with power at Pentecost and radically changed the hearts of these men. And brothers and sisters, that is saying, the same reality is true for me and you. Because apart from the inward obedience wrought change of the heart, there is no hope for me and you. Our obedience as Christians is not just another cleanup job. It's not the same message of Islam or Judaism that just says, yeah, just try harder, do better, do this over here, and then you will have obedience. That's not how it happens. Jesus first has to work the obedience from within us in that way. But our obedience comes from within. I want you to notice also what else our obedience does. Our obedience has a mission. I don't know if you've ever considered that, that our obedience to Christ has a mission. Notice what he says again in verse 19. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the mission 
is that he's going to take them from fishing for literal fish to throwing out nets to people around the world. And the mission is the, is the, is the call to come to Christ all around the world. And Jesus is sending his disciples to catch men on his behalf. And it's, it's actually paradoxical that he says in verse 18, now notice what they say in verse 18, they were casting their nets for they were fishermen. And then he flips it around and says, you're fishermen right now, but I'm going to make you be fishers of all peoples. And I want you to see how this is a fulfillment even of Scripture. Now, you don't have to turn there, but it should be on the screen. Jeremiah 16. We had it, we had it read for us this morning. This was in a moment. God tells them, Israel, this. In a moment when they were left in exile. I want you to notice what he tells them. He says, Behold... I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord. They shall catch them and afterwards send for many hunters and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rock. What he's saying is how he's going to bring Israel back. How he's going to bring the true Israel back to the land that he's promised them. And you know what he says? I'm sending many fishers. I'm sending many, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work my redemption in people then then have them be the ones who cast the nets. First Peter, we've, we've heard it before, I'll, I'll just do it again for us. First Peter 2, 9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So you are all these things if you're a Christian. And the purpose of it is that you may proclaim it to others. But now notice what he then says even just a little further. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you see it? Even right there. Our obedience has a purpose. And our obedience has a purpose of declaring, casting out the nets to others. They will no longer fish for fish. They will now fish for men. And no, no, now, now no, no, no longer are we to now go fish for other fish. We are to fish for people. That's what we're to do, and we do it when we cast the net of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13, I know I'm throwing a ton of scripture at you, but Matthew 13, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it is full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers. Now, we're not the ones who do the sorting, but we are the ones who do the casting. We are the ones who are throwing out the net of the kingdom, declaring the good news of the gospel that Christ has redeemed sinners. And he declares all to repent. Now, our obedience has one final thing I want us to notice. Our obedience will be, so while we've seen our obedience comes from the heart, our obedience has a mission And I want us to see finally that our obedience will be our greatest witness. Our obedience will be our greatest witness. 
John 13, Jesus, getting ready to leave this earth, tells them, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now notice what he says in verse 35, which is profound. So he tells them, hey, love, love each other like I've loved you. And then he says, by this. By what? Wait, it's not, it's not just some evangelistic campaign. It's, it's, not, it's not some, some altar call. It's not, some, it's not all these other things. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. How? By loving one another. By, by loving one another in obedience. He says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. That's how they'll know. Now, I want to conclude just with an example. Um, I want us to pretend for a minute uh, that there was, we, we got word uh, that, say, New Germany State Park, we heard, we heard that uh, there was a missing person in New Germany State Park. We all got word of it, and they have a search and rescue out for the person. But what, ha- what would happen if we were like, oh, man, we all need to go. We need to go be a part of this thing. When we all get there, what would we expect to find? We, we should expect that people are like anxiously searching. They're setting up tents. They're trying to figure out like where were they at last. Let's, let's start looking over here. But what if we got there and we realized people were just like hanging out, grilling burgers, eating hot dogs, throwing cornhole. What would we think about the search and rescue? I hope we would think something's wrong here. Something, something's off just a little bit. And I hope what we would think would, would be, why are they saying there's a search and rescue when everyone's just walking around acting like there's no big deal? What would this tell us about the people who are searching? And I hope it would tell us that they're either one of two things. Either they really don't believe that the person's lost. That's one. Or they really don't care for that person. And I'm fearful for, for Christians and for the church as a whole, that, that we view evangelism with that kind of a mindset. That we view the evangelism with, with lawn chairs and cornhole and grilling burgers. And I'll tell us, I, I think what we need as a church, not just as a church in regard to evangelism, we need to begin how Jesus tells us to begin. Realizing that the obedience that he's calling us for first and foremost, is to love one another. And when we do that, it will be the greatest witness we have to the world around us. But then it also requires that we get outside of these four walls and we actually allow other people to see us love one another. Because the call of Christ has been the call, the same call that he, he had even on those disciples there on the, on the shore of Galilee. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I can't do this in you. You can't do this in yourself. I hope that's actually really good news for you today. But Jesus promises, follow me, and I will do this in you. Does that make sense? I hope that that's clear. I want us to consider one more passage just as we close. He says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood. Those are all things that he's doing to us. A holy nation, 
a people for his own possession. And here's the purpose. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you get nothing else from today, get this. It's at the top of your page. To follow after Jesus, you will worship him. You will be changed by him, and you will obey his commands. And as you follow him, he will create you to be a fisher of men. I hope you're encouraged, brothers and sisters, because this isn't something we do in ourselves. This is something that as we follow after Christ, he does in us. May we pray toward that end. Uh, let's, Let's turn and do that.